finally done it. Sergio Garcia is a major champion. I'm Paul Fisher and this week in the sidelines group we're going to look over the Masters, the Davis Cup and nearly men from all across sport. Thank you for joining us. Hamish, how's it going? Very well, Paul. I had a, a nice wee weekend at home there but I'm back in um, in Germany uh, or something else I called it in the group chat the other day. Um, <laughs> back for back for a good couple of months now and um, getting ready to, to talk up the sporting game. Yes, so we'll, we'll, we'll dive right in, uh, Master Sunday, so we're recording a wee bit early this week, we're yeah. recording Monday, and I think we just wanted to, out off the back of the, the Masters preview that we did, we wanted to talk right through the, the, the four days, the the glittering performance from Sergio Garcia, and the fact that some of the big guys didn't turn up, uh, shall we say, but we'll, we'll start off with, with Sergio, I think we'll, we'll have to, to go in a bit of detail here. Um, a lot of people going into Sunday. He was he was obviously joint joint leading with, with Justin mm-hmm. Rose. People were saying he's not got the bottle. We can't do it. His putting's not up to scratch. He'll end up shanking a, a a drive into the woods somewhere, yeah. and 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 he did all that, but he still <laughs> managed to win. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he only had to be on social media on Sunday night to to kind of get the the feeling eh, among people that everyone and their dog was up for Sergio Garcia. Uh, weren't mm-hmm. there? I mean, I'd be interested to know if even Justin Rose's family were maybe wanting um, Sergio to win because he's just such a lovable character. He's been around what best part of two decades um, at the mm-hmm. highest level of, of golf. I think he's had five or six second place finishes um, in, in majors. He got so close at Carnoustie when he was beaten by Pori Carrington, had putts to win it there. Mm-hmm. There was a certain similarity last night having that putt to win it on 18 a putt I think he would have rolled in had he needed to hold it if say Rose had held his one um, I think mm-hmm. Garcia would have held that one as well and there was always just a feeling that he was just going to get away from him again um, I even think back to the, the putt he missed on 16 that was just a weak effort and it let Rose right into the ascendancy um, I think he was as far out um, as 7 or 8 to 1 during that back 9 Sergio Garcia it was it was an incredible comeback. It was an incredible finish. I love the fact that he held the putt to win it rather than mm-hmm. not just knocking it in in two. And I genuinely am absolutely delighted. I don't think I could have picked someone that I would rather have won that. Um, maybe with the exception of of a Scott um, than Sergio Garcia. Yeah, I think that was the the, the mood uh, and the buoyancy when when he held that putt. It was just it was phenomenal to see like. I was I was I was sitting on the couch watching it on my Twitter, refreshed on Twitter and it was just like ten tweets in a row was just kinda of Sergio and Vamos and mm. all this kind of stuff. It, it was just it was absolutely brilliant to see and his reaction kinda of told it all, like the the way he kinda of just kinda of nearly sunk to his knees and uh, seventy four majors he's played in that that was his seventy fourth major. Yeah. And he eventually he's he's got his win and I think he's been top ten over twenty times. But not quite got there, mm. and I think um, he was being interviewed after it, and he was saying how when he first played at the Masters, I think he was top amateur. Um, he was playing, and he 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 said, oh, "I really like this course here at Augusta. This is this is for me." And he felt then that he could win it, he could come mm. back and win it. And then I think about probably was eight or nine years ago, he said, "This course isn't isn't for him. He comes here." plays his golf and goes home. Yeah. He never expects anything from it, but everything just seemed to click. But he kind of... The first, the first two days he was kind of under the radar, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, As he, he usually some, is in, in majors, yeah. isn't he? 
and and there was other names being mentioned and um one like the was uh, Hoffman had had the lead and yeah. everybody was kind of writing him off Hoffman which is understandable when it comes to majors you expect the big names to to come to the floor towards the end and and looking at the leaderboard and the kind of final like kind of top eight top nine they did because the names there are all very recognisable you've got. You've got Justin Rose, obviously a former US Open winner. Charles Swartzel's won the green jacket before. Uh, Matt Kutcher's there. Thomas Peters, big up and coming. Uh, golfer from Belgium. Mm-hmm. Paul Casey, phenomenal last round from Paul Casey. That's a really good round. Yeah. I, t- I tipped him to do quite well, actually, prior to it. And Paul Casey was, was absolutely excellent, especially, I think, in the final round. I think Kutcher, who you mentioned as well, they're obviously... Mm. Finished, um, or didn't finish, but he, near the end of his round, did that hole in one. Um, yep. Incredible moment there. I think it was the only hole in one during the four days, if I'm right in saying so. Um, fantastic, and um, it was great to see him there. But I think I think Sergio is is just a man, isn't he? I, th- I think what you're saying is right. The fact that it's taken him 18 years, pretty much. Um, he's finished. It was four times he's finished second. He's come so close. He's finally done it. The monkey off the back. Um, is massive, and um, he's going to now go on and win a, a few more. I think over over the rest of his career, he's still got a long, long career ahead of him. And with that that monkey off his back, he is he's going to be absolutely fine. Uh, I was I was just delighted to see him do it. I was delighted to to see him do it in such a, a stylish way in the end with that final putt. As I say, and I think going up against someone like Justin Rose, who's been there and won things before, um, only goes to kind of strengthen the feeling of, of how glad everyone was um, that the Garcia won because he did. He chucked it, didn't he? In the in part mm. the start of the the back, the back uh, back eight probably he kind of started mm. to, to fade away, and we're all just thinking it's going to be another one. Rose is going to run away with. It. As I say, I think Rose was was as short as about one to one to eleven. I think at one stage, <laughs> which is a, a near certainty, and um, it was brilliant to see Garcia come back. And I, I just thought the whole. I thought it was a really good Masters, and I thought I think I think the Sunday probably gave me the Sunday's probably the finest thing that golf has to offer, other than maybe the Ryder Cup. Mm. But on a, a year-to-year basis, it's just Master Sunday's brilliant, and that was a special one. Yeah, I think I think you mentioned the the thirteenth. I think when he when he drove and he he said he'd been doing it all week and he, and he just got caught in the trees. Yeah, and he seen the the lie that he had and on the kind of pine needles, and everybody thought. That that was kind of curtains for him, um, but he managed to to make his par. Rose probably should have had a birdie to to take a three shot lead, but he stayed within two, and fought his way back. And then the eagle, um, it was just it was unbelievable mm. to get to level par, and then the very next hole, Rose goes and birdies it again and, and takes the lead again. You think, oh, this is not going to get a break here, Garcia, but. He even got up on the eighteenth the first time round before the the playoff the shot that Rose played he got a bit of luck and he, he had the easier putt but Garcia put oh. it within five feet. That, that, that's just, a shot of the tournament for me under that pressure was yeah. was absolutely brilliant. It's, it's just interesting how we we talked up all the different names the McElroys, the Spieth, the Dustin mm. Johnsons, the Fowlers, um, the. Zach Johnson even I mentioned last week Vijay Singh even got mentioned all these names and it came down to to two men and it's often the way in golf isn't it certainly when I think back to the Open last year and in previous events as well it seems as if two men going into the final day pretty much ahead of the rest seems to be more and more common it's quite it's quite interesting it, it makes for, for great television when they're just two players going up against each other uh, it was phenomenal you, you touched on um, 
Spieth and, and Rory mm. and DJ obviously did, Dustin Johnson had to pull out before the the, the start with the, it was a back injury but mm. Spieth and, and, and Rory and when Spieth was going in um, it was him and, and Ricky Fowler they were, were second I think they were second last out yesterday and it took you, you thought there was something about, about America about the American yeah. guys Spieth and his record at the Masters but the two of them kind of you really see bottled it, but they, they fell away really badly mm. towards the end. They did. Um, Fowler seventy six, um, finished tied in eleventh and lost me a couple of quid because I had them each. I had an each wee bet on them. Right. What was and that top ten or top eight? I think top it was. They were So um, if he if he finished off with a birdie, he probably would have been all right. And Spieth hit a seventy five in his final round, and it's just it's unthinkable for these guys because McIlroy come right back and finished the under par, and. To be fair to McElroy, he probably played with less pressure because he was never really in contention. He was thinking he was going to have to have the round of his life. He was going to have to shoot a sixty-three or a sixty-four yeah. to be to be in there. But it it shows you that on on the day or on the four days, then if if somebody can play consistently well, then they're going to be in a chance. I think Spieth's first round killed him, and McElroy throughout the four days just he was hot and cold. He was hitting really good shots. I think it was the start of the third round he came out birdie birdie and he was in I think he was in his second favourite mm. and then he, three holes later he was double bogey so yeah. he was back out of contention again but it just it sets up a brilliant year I think for, for golf because the the guys in the top of the game are playing so well and they're all going to be hungry guys, to, to get it back aren't they and, and win right. these majors especially when someone are obviously not a newbie in terms of the sport but a new winner in Sergio mm-hmm. Garcia they're all going to see that as a challenge because Sergio Garcia like Henrik Stenson did last year we'll, we'll lay down the gauntlet now and say to the rest of them look I'm, I'm the most recent champion you've got to come and catch me you'll have Dustin Johnson coming back he's still got that winning run because he's probably mm-hmm. not counting this week that was unfortunate I must say the fact that we didn't get to see much of him um, it was a real shame probably the, the only real shame maybe up the Tiger Woods of the week that those two weren't there um, because those two would, would have improved the the whole drama the whole intensity and the quality of the golf but I thought it was one of my favourite masters um, I thought it was really really good uh, and probably my favourite winner of the masters as well yeah I think it's, it's, as we said a really really popular winner and the fact that um we will mention. I think it was, it's been mentioned to death that to be it was in in Seve Ballesteros' sixtieth uh, birthday or what would have been his sixtieth birthday, and I think there was just kind of the icing on the cake of the um, fact that he became the third Spanish winner of a major, and his two great idols and Alatabel and and, and Ballesteros were. Uh, he, he mentioned them, and they were mentioned all the way through that he was always going to be this next big thing in golf, in mm. or in Spanish golf, um, especially, and he's now lived up to the hype and the expectation that that, that lived with him for, for so long as, as, as a professional player. Definitely. Um, yeah, I, I can only can only kind of reiterate everything you've said. Um, it's fantastic Sergio Garcia is uh, as a hero and the first point I made, the fact that so many people were up for him um, last night just shows that he's probably one of the most loved guys in the sport and the fact that he's now won one will propel him to a level that he's probably never been at before. He, he now is probably, um, I don't know if I want to use the word legend, I think that's maybe slightly too strong, but he certainly, if he wasn't before, he's a massive icon of the sport, I think, yeah, with that victory. No, certainly, but we've got 
two months to wait until the, to the next major, the US Open, Erin Hills, 15th of June it starts, so we'll be fair looking forward to that one, and when that comes around we will be looking at our tips and hopefully we'll do a wee bit better. Right, Davis Cup, tennis, we tipped a France win, and I think this was probably the, the, the certainty of the weekend in terms of, of betting. France were a massive, massive favourites, and I think they were always going to win this game, weren't they? Yeah, they were. It was a, a kind of chastening weekend for for the British players, and the two singles matches were straightforward wins. Um, for for the French, Kyle Edmund um, put up a good fight in the first two sets. Lost the first set seven five. Lost the second set eight six in a tiebreak. Real kind of itchy bitchy kind of tennis in the first two sets. He mm. could, could have gone either way. He could he could easily have won those first two sets, Kyle Edmund. Um, against world number 17 Lucas Pouillet you've got to remember as well so a good player even though France were, were missing all of these players they still had a world number 17 to throw in um, the final set it's been a criticism of Kyle Edmund is the fact that he, he sometimes struggles when he, he goes behind he, he, I still think it's for a, a want of trying but he sometimes struggles to get back into matches um, so he lost that Dan Evans in contrast was Comfortably beaten by Jeremy Shardy, six two, six three, six three. Dan Evans just isn't um, isn't a clay court player. I don't know if you could maybe no. tell me prior to Saturday when the last time he played on clay was. No, I, I think he's only played in clay uh, a handful of times. It was twenty fourteen. Uh, his professional career, he, yeah. he just doesn't play on it. Yeah, he, he, he just <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't fancy it at all, and it's. Um, Oh, he, it's it's his it's his career. Uh, it's just it's a shame to see him beaten so comfortably. It was it was over really after that. The, the doubles, um, the pairing of Dom Inglot and Jamie Murray put up a, a good fight again. There was so many. Um, well, all four of the sets were close. The, the seven six five seven seven five seven five. So every set was up to seven games. So it was it was pretty close stuff. Nicholas Mahou and Julian Beneteau. Um, won that one. It was three 0 by then, so it was a it was a tough weekend for Britain. It's the first time, I think that that Britain have lost, um, have lost in sorry after the the first kind of couple of days, have lost the first three rubbers, mm. um, effectively, yeah. and it, it's it's kind of unheard of really, um, over the last couple of years the way Britain have played. Obviously, that's a defence of the the tournament over, um, but France, fair enough, they march on to the semis. Yeah, so I I think France more than deserved a win. To be honest, like we we did mention it last week, the 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 strength and depth in their team is massive, and they're missing Songa, Monfils, and Gasquet mm. from the team. It's just it's quite scary to think that they guys could come back in, and it gives the selector an absolute headache trying to pick that team. Yeah. I couldn't imagine saying, "All oh, right, uh, you're going to drop out because they all won games." Like I know. Dan Evans had a decent win against Benito, but Benito's um he's older than the guys, he's not a a singles specialist, a double specialist, he's really good at doubles along with Mahu. They're they're really good players. And by that time obviously the tie was over as well, so it, mm. it didn't really matter uh, all that much. Yeah. But um without Andy Murray, Britain just struggling big time. Yeah, well, Dan Evans did win, as you say, um, against Benito, but that that's Sunday, and it's something I maybe want to touch on a wee minute after we go to the other three games that we'll probably have to, to touch on as well, but the the fact that these 
these kind of dead rubbers are played. Mm. Um, maybe come on to that in a wee second. I, I just thought that that's an interesting kind of debate there because certainly in this this Britain game, I don't know if you've seen the videos, but you had um, French coach whose name has just completely escaped me. Um, the big kind of French icon singer as well. Um, sorry, I've, I've completely forgotten his name, but he he was on the court. Um, kind of, there was three people on the court playing against um, Dan Evans at one stage. It was a complete farce, but mm. it was it was just a it was kind of to make the game more interesting because these dead rubber games are going on, and if you're a fan going, you're probably wanting a, an exhibition type match as opposed to a competitive match because they weren't competitive matches at that stage. But for me, it throws the whole kind of. I don't want to use the word integrity, but it throws a certain part of that up in the air with regards to the Davis Cup. Um, I would either play these games full on the dead rubbers, or I would just I would scrap them completely. I mean, what's the point? I know tickets have been sold, but surely you can refund people's tickets or, or do something else for it rather than playing the, these matches that that don't really matter. Yeah, do some sort of exhibition or something like that. It's it's bizarre the way they do it, mm. but. Um, We'll touch on we'll touch on the other ones. We'll come back to we'll, we'll touch on the other results, and I think, but they're not the, the results weren't unexpected. To be honest, the probably the weaker of the four quarterfinals was Belgium against Italy. Mm. Um, if you can say it's weaker, but there's still decent decent players there. Uh, Belgium coming through that one three two. David Goffin was was the uh, star of that one. He was really yeah. really good. David Goffin, um, um, he's he's just coming into his own. Uh, he's he's pretty much going to be. I can have a top. I think he's going to be a top eight player by the end of the year, uh, and I think he's another one who could well uh, well win a Grand Slam. No, I think he's been tipped for for pretty, quite a while that he he's a decent decent player, and I think he was at the um, Davis Cup a couple of years ago, and they were playing against GB and the final. And I think I was at the final, and Andy Murray got the better of him, but without Andy Murray again, Britain would have struggled big time. So um, he's he's one of these players where. You expect big things from him, but whether he can deliver um, on the, on the big stages still remains to be seen. I don't think he's he's quite got that level yet, but um, he is getting closer and closer. Mm. The pro- probably the most the most interesting um, rubber of the, the the full thing was was Australia against the USA. Yeah, we're leading into that from my point of view. That's what I thought, and um, Jack Sock. He's been in great form recently. Um, the young American, and they can. Didn't quite turn up in the first game, and that kind of put the whole um, thing to bed because it was it was done by the fourth rubber, Nick Kyrgios, winning his both his singles, winning them in straight sets, and mm. um, he beat Sam Querrey and he beat John Isner as well. So, yeah, Kyrgios um, just continues this this brilliant form that he's been on this year. He's mm. he's without doubt been the, the second best player um, of twenty seventeen after Federer, and I think uh, I can see Australia winning it this year. To be honest, I think. Probably we know what we get with Kyrgios, don't we? We get the, the fight, and we know how talented a player he is. Probably the the kind of more pressing issue, or the bigger point, would be the performance of Jordan Thompson, who beat Jack Sock, mm. who's a Aye. I think he's a top twenty player, Jack Sock, and fifteenth ranked in yeah, the world. So. And Jordan Thompson is um, well, I hadn't heard of him before this weekend. <laughs> so um, to, for him to win that that match, fair play to him, um, four sets and. Uh, I think I think Australia have got a pretty good chance this year. 
Yeah, under the leadership of the captainship of, of Leighton Hewitt. Of course, yeah, aye. Another, so you know, they, have, they have got a, a decent uh, a decent chance, but the, the other one um, was more of a foregone conclusion, mm. I think, as well. Massive, massive favourites in, in Serbia. Um, Djokovic back. Djokovic back, mm. straight sets wins. Um, and he only played in the first game. He only needed to yeah. play in the first game. Uh, <laughs> I think Victor Troitsky was the, kind of the other star, wasn't he? So it's worth, yeah. I mean, it's worth pointing out, of course, to... To anyone that isn't familiar with the Davis Cup, I mean, Spain, you might automatically be thinking, oh, we're Nadal and Ferrer there. Um, no, neither were there. It's a, it's a, it's a strange kind of, it's a strange kind of competition. Sometimes the Davis Cup, where the the kind of big stars seem to sometimes, for whatever reason, not want to play or, or are rested in these games. Um, it's a bit of a shame because how good would it have been to see Nadal going up against Djokovic and Ferrer going up against Troitsky. Um, or mm-hmm. Saravich or someone like that and it would have been brilliant um, and obviously Andy Murray was missing for, for Britain as well so I think going forward for the, for the last four when you get Belgium, Australia, France uh, and Serbia you'll have what Djokovic, Kyrgios and, and Goffin will be kind of the main men for their countries I don't know if France will get Songa back or Monfils will be their man, main man or Gasquet um, but I, I could go could go to any of these four to be honest yeah, I think just a wee uh, quirky fact worth pointing out. The Serbian team, um, obviously Djokovic is the main man and then you think of Viktor Troitsky, but you look at um, the, the number four player and the player who played in the doubles, um, Nenad Zimanic. Mm. He was born in 1976. 41. He's, he is the captain and he is the, one of the doubles players and he uh, first played the professional game in 1995. The mm. same year that Nick Kyrgios was born. Fantastic, so, <laughs> fantastic. Um, longevity there for for Serbia. I, th- I I believe they are the favourites, and I think I don't know if that's just because of the fact that Djokovic is in the team, or the fact that they are strong. But I I think um, the Australians will be hard to beat. But the f- I I, can't, I just can't see past the French to be honest. Yeah. So, um, but it will be interesting to see semi finals obviously coming up. I think next month. Again, so um, we'll keep an eye out for the draw. We'll have a look at the the games before the, before they happen, but and we'll make our predictions. But we'll be, I, I think it'd be good to see France win. Mm. They've not won it for nearly two decades. So, uh, but we'll, we'll 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 keep an eye on the Davis Cup, and obviously we'll bring you completely up to date mm. with that as it happens. One final point before we we end this wee segment is that Andy Murray was back playing. Um, I think last night or the night before uh, he played against Roger Federer in an exhibition match funny we were talking about exhibition matches just five minutes ago um, Murray was back and uh, it's good to see him back on the court no, brilliant, to see, brilliant to see Andy Murray back and hopefully he gets a rerun at the, the French Open OK now Formula 1 Hamilton back in action back on track and back on the top of that podium Yes, uh, took him level with the legendary figure of Alan Prost in terms of podium positions, which kind of, I mean, he's just a, a name that's that's kind of well in line with Formula One, and I suppose Lewis Hamilton mm-hmm. is now as well. Uh, it was a big win for him, he overcame Sebastian Vettel. Vettel, of course, won the opening race in Australia. It's going to be between those two, I think. Um, Hamilton seemed to get a bit fortunate with the, the start to the race that, that saw the safety car car uh, dis- deployed um, but, but fair play to Hamilton it was a real exciting race um, from what I heard, real kind of wheel to wheel race and, and it was it was 
good to see Lewis Hamilton back to winning ways. Um, it's going to be a real interesting one. I think Bahrain's coming up. Um, what I seem to take from it is that Vettel um, will be slight favourite in Bahrain because it's slightly warmer and his car is better suited for that. But I think it is going to be between these two this year. We called it, and interestingly, both of us are no massive Formula One fans. Like we, we don't follow it with with the same interest that we do say tennis or darts or something like that. Mm. But I think it was quite plain to see that Ferrari had had made big improvements this year. But Hamilton, um, obviously, has probably got still got the best car, and we we also obviously realised the fact that Rosberg was no longer there, and Bottas wasn't going to give him as big a challenge. As, as maybe as Rosberg would have and, and Vettel's probably I would say if you give him the same car I would I would fancy Vettel nine times out of ten to, mm. to beat Hamilton and I don't know if that's controversial but um, Hamilton just seems to have always have the better better car the better um, technicians and stuff like that on, on, on hand but I think this time around he deserved the win and it's it, it does it makes it really interesting because you look at the fact that the Vettel's the the favourite going into to Bahrain, and then they could yeah. they could they could switch and they could switch first and second. It could it could be all year, mm-hmm. but there is other guys there that can that can jump in and win a race from nowhere. You know, Max Verstappen's probably an obvious one. He's just a everyone knows the name Max Verstappen. He's a massive talent. I think he's is he nineteen years old, and he came from sixteenth to get a podium mm. place. Uh, at the weekend, um, I think he was referred to, interestingly, by Lewis Hamilton as, and I'm not exactly sure my wording here, either young boy or young lad or something to that degree. Um, and he took a bit of offence to this, I think, um, the fact that he, he doesn't want to be to be known as the young lad. He wants to be seen to be an equal competition, which is absolutely fair enough. Um, it's only going to make Lewis Hamilton use that kind of stuff more, though, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's it. But you need to you, you look at him at that age to be kind of on that level. Um, it's quite scary to how far he could go. Um, you look at the experience of Hamilton and Vettel together combined, and then the the guys that are round about him. And he's coming from sixteenth in the grid to 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 get to any third and and get himself fifteen points is is it's quite scary to be honest. But looking at the um the standings, you you think. Who I know it's only we're only two races down, um. But Verstappen's there in third, and Bottas starting third in the grid and, and finishing mm. sixth. It's not great for him, but you just don't see. I don't think there's it's going to be between anybody else apart from the two of them. It's just a shame Rosberg's not there, isn't it? That'd be a, yeah, kind of, that'd be a three-way shootout, and that would be that'd be absolutely brilliant. As it is, similar to the golf, I think it's going to be the two of them going for it at the top. Um. And as I said with the golf, it, sometimes when you've got two, it makes for really interesting because it's direct head-on head competition. And uh, I think it could be pretty spectacular. It's, it's obviously it's Ferrari against Mercedes as well, so there's so much more to it than that. They'll be going for the Constructors' Championship as well. Between those two, it's going to be... Um, but yeah, I think the Ferraris, from what I heard, uh, are going to have a slight advantage with the heat and barring for whatever reason. Um, I don't know if it's the tyres or what but um, it's probably one to look out for there but uh, I don't know if it's this week or the following week but um, I think a, a Ferrari win might be a good bet for uh, for Bahrain Yeah, that, that is this, this weekend coming um, you know, you get a, a break to, to, to Russia but the, 
the standings at the top of the Formula One. Vettel on forty three points, Hamilton on forty three points, and then you look at constructors: Mercedes on sixty six, Ferrari on sixty five. Formula One is shaping up to be absolutely brilliant in twenty seventeen. Right, quick news, and we will start. We'll, we'll go back to last week's podcast and the Grand National, and this is what you say, Tamish. Then it jumps out at you. Any any names? Um, I've as you know, I don't really, I don't really bet in the horses, but I've got um, there's one here that I like the name. Uh, sorry, I don't, I don't mind the name, but I like the the jersey on one for Arthur. It's a um, salt tire. It's like blue with the, obviously the, the white cross across it and I think it's kind of maroon sleeves. One for Arthur, 12 to 1, so decent odds, mm, but not, um, not too not too far. But uh, How did you manage that? How, just, what, what, um, how did you do it? <laughs> I, um, first of all, I'm absolutely delighted. Um, I feel vindicated. Um, of course, didn't put any money in this at all, so I didn't get any financial gain from it. But what I got was far greater than that. Um, I got real, a real sentimental feeling. I was sitting, um, I was out for lunch basically. I painted the scene. I was out for lunch um, on Saturday. A big family do. The reason I was back in Scotland, etc., etc. Um, the Grand National started. I think it was about half five, and the rest of them are sitting there with their coupons, going, "Oh, who's going to win?" I was, I was going, "Look, I don't bet on it because I think there's forty horses." Um, fallers and all that kind of stuff, and you're going to struggle to pick the winner. But I went, "Look, that one there." That's going to win it and thank me later. Put some money on it now and thank me later. Um, nobody put money on it. Um, <laughs> one for Arthur. And um, when I saw... I was I was kind of searching its name on Twitter to see if anyone was saying anything about it because I sometimes find with the big horse races that's the easier way to do it. And I saw he was he was kind of on the gallop and on the charge and he was leading me one to go. And uh, it was a fantastic victory and I felt, I felt pretty good about it. Just, it was complete luck. It was a, a 1 in 40 chance. Um, pretty much, obviously, um, the, it was a kind of greater favourite. It was pretty near up the the, the kind of favourites, but it was a fantastic win. It was as someone put it was one for Arthur and it was one for Scotland as well. First Scottish winner since maybe seventy eight or something like that. And um, I believe it was a, the kind of first female um, kind of trained one winner in a, a good while ever maybe. Mm. I know it was it was it was certainly I think it's the third ever Scottish winner in terms of of trained horses and I'm I'm not sure on the female side of things but um, I'm sure I read that it's, somewhere. It's just completely it's brilliant the way the 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 race happened and the way it, um, it finished it, it was just great and the fact that there was only um, nineteen finishers it was quite a low number mm. I think for 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 recent times. But um, all horses came round and uh, all were, were okay. I'd just like to say, Cosa Causes, that was my, my pick, came second. And um, my other pick was V. Leon Rouge. And in each way, bet and it came sixth. So if you had the bookmakers that was paying top six, then, then you would have been quids in. Um, there's, there's no luck here, that was pure skill and <laughs> form. <laughs> Done all right between us, then, eh? No, it's not. Well, we get first and second, so I don't think you can you can moan uh, too much about it in, in terms of the Grand National betting. But um, I, it was it was a great it was a, it was a really good race to watch. I was at, um, at the opening day of the bowling club and watching it, and it's always a tradition. As I said last week, it's the first day of the, the the bowling season. We play the bowls, and then at about five o'clock, everybody comes off, and there's usually one. Um, sometimes there's two. Uh, I think there's two this year sweeps that are done. Yeah. Everybody pays a, pays a quid, gets a horse, and. Um, we fire the TV on, fire it up, 
the volume and everybody shouts along for like 10 minutes and it's, it's a great atmosphere it's and good isn't it it's fun no, it's, it's brilliant it's, I quite enjoy the kind of that element of horse horse racing when it, it's like the Grand National everyone's into it folk are just get coupons on and all that kind of stuff mm. and it, it's so it's a good bit of fun Um I, I mean, I'm I'm delighted I picked the winner. Um, just uh, annoyed I didn't put money on it because fourteen <laughs> to one, I think I could have won a, a fair work. Yeah, so one one of the guys in the, the club had the uh, ten of each way on it, so he was uh, it was the drinks were on him for the next round anyway. Good man. But um, we'll, we'll we'll move on quickly. We we'll just as a quick news section, we're we'll just running through what's been happening elsewhere in the world of sport, and the next one's probably the weirdest story and hmm. the world of sport this week. Tony Adams, former Arsenal centre half. Um, has got a new job, Hamish. Yeah, he's working in Spain now, all right for some. Um, all right with his uh, taste in suits as well. Um, if you've seen the photo, you've probably seen it on Twitter. Um, it's him sitting and standing next to the, a sign that says La Liga Lounge and he's in this kind of light blue, checkered, grey suit over a black shirt and he's just standing there. Uh, it's a brave suit choice. It's a brave appointment from um, mm. Granada. Uh, I believe it is in La Liga they're near the bottom of the table recently sacked um, Lucas Alcaraz the previous manager and they're hoping that um, the 50 year old Tony Adams um, can keep them, keep them safe basically I don't know what experience he's really got it seems a strange one um, but, but who knows yeah well Tony Adams last managerial job was uh, he was in charge of Gabala any idea where they're from? I do know this. They are from uh, Azerbaijan. They are indeed Azerbaijan. Yes. So he was there in 2010-11 season. He left for personal reasons. That was six years ago and he hasn't had a managerial job since. He's only had two managerial jobs. Wickham Wanderers in 03-04 and Portsmouth in 08-09. Mm. It's, just, it's just completely bizarre. Um and I don't see anything other than Granada going down. No offence to them, no offence to Tony Adams, but I don't know what's, how this has happened or what's going on. Fair to say that he'd catch a Granada for, for <laughs> you. Tried something there. Didn't come uh, <laughs> <laughs> We'll move swiftly on. Um, a couple of things that are, are coming up. We'll probably touch on them next week in, in the podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, track cycling world championships have would start on Wednesday so as you're listening if you listen to this on the first day it comes out it'll be tomorrow um, live on the BBC again more live sport on the BBC fantastic to see mm. um, I don't think I think it was the news came out today that, that Laura Kenny isn't isn't riding so um, there's there's going to be chances for to see new faces the, the new faces of British uh, cycling coming through and as we all know from, from the Olympic Games and the Commonwealth Games Britain are going to be big favourites in a lot of the events yeah. here um, and it, it's really actually quite exciting to watch because cycling's evolving so fast there's so many different changes being made there's always world records and there's always um, really cro- close races especially with the, the Australians coming over and um, the French the, are always good the, the French are always strong and then the Scandinavian countries always do okay. New Zealand are decent. The Chinese, you can't rule out the Chinese in terms of cycling. Uh-huh. But it's, it's it's going to be great. I think it runs from the this the Wednesday until, until Saturday. Um, I think so. Uh, get on that if you want to. Yeah. Uh, we watch something different that you maybe you yeah. don't normally watch. I think two names: Katie Archibald and Eleanor mm-hmm. Barker are are the mm-hmm. two being tipped. Um, just reading this here to quote make their mark. 
Um, where's it? Where's it taking place? It's uh, Hong Kong. Oh year. right, I don't know why I had it in my head that it was maybe in um, Britain, but no, that'll be good. <laughs> No, no, it'll be good. So, um, if you want to watch that, and at the weekend this Saturday, the big one in terms of snooker, the World Championships start, and um, all eyes will be on the Crucible Theatre, as as they say. Is there any we should be looking out for here? Is it going to be a case of it's it's Ronnie, or is it, um, it someone else? Don't know, Judd Trump. Judd Trump, mm, interesting. There's, there's always the, there's the. The, the guys that always get a shout there's there's Neil Robertson there's this couple of last year's champion Mark Selby John Higgins on the comeback trail mm. uh, last year Lee. last year was a year for Trump wasn't it so so maybe this one will be will be the same again um, <laughs> Ronnie O'Sullivan's probably your, your obvious one I'm not actually too kind of in line with the or kind of decent intel on, on the kind of current snooker Rankings, but I'll, I'll certainly look into it for next week. And it's it's always interesting snooker into the final, um, getting to see who's going. The long, long games, but it's that time of the year we're getting into now, where all these things are coming together. You had the Masters last night. You've got the cycling. Mm. You've got the the snooker. The tennis isn't far away from from the next Grand Slam. As you said, the golf majors are keeping coming. Um, the rugby, as we're going to come on to in a second, is uh, is not far away in terms of the Lions. So it's got a good uh, good feel about it this sporting year. No, no, definitely. You, you touched on it there. So the Lions squad gets announced. Is it this week, next week? It's the April the 19th, so a week on Wednesday, that is. And who are we looking out for, do you think? There's going to be a couple of Scots in there, surely. Hopefully. Um, hopefully we're going, to get, we're going to get a few Scots in there. It'd be certainly it'd be expected after the Six Nations that Scotland had. I don't think mm. you'll see as many as some Scottish rugby fans would like. I think the majority of the team, as expected, will be made up of English players. I think there'll be yeah. Irish in there, and then I think there'll be a couple of Scottish and Welsh players. But I think there'll be a greater Scottish presence than there has been in recent years. Um, for me, they're fighting a losing battle this year. The the British and Irish Lions, I think, um, they could well struggle. I think their record in New Zealand is, is pretty abysmal, uh, and I think it's going to be very difficult this year. Yeah, no, I think so. But I think one name that should be on the in, in the thirty seven man squad is, is Stuart Hogg. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. see. We'll see. I think he um, will be. When, aye, I, I think he will be as well. He's obviously one player of the Six Nations for the second year in a row. So. Yeah, you would you would hope, but uh, next Wednesday, so we will get that on next week's podcast. Hopefully, we'll have the the full rundown of the squad, and we'll look forward to the tour of um, of down under in New Zealand. So this week's theme, oh, just to to pay homage to to Sergio Garcia for um, obviously picking his first uh, major trophy up, and for so long he was the nearly man. He was the guy that everybody went. Ah, Sergio, if only you could win a major and get the monkey off your back. And he's done it now, but there's other folk out there who, who haven't done it, or mm. there's teams there that haven't done it, and there's so many. And it's unfortunate to call them nearly men or nearly women. It's just, it's, it's no nice, but the fact is that, that there's people that have come so close, they've been at the very, very top, the very pinnacle of their sport, of their game, but they just haven't been able to to get that final, get over that hurdle and, and pick up the, the, the biggest prize in the sport. So I'm going to fire one name out there, Hamish, uh, just to start us off with. And I think we'll stick to the, the, the golf. And it's the, I think the name that would jump out a lot of people and it's Colin Montgomery. Mm. Um, 
so many, so many majors, so many chances, but again, like Sergio, just apart obviously Sergio has done it now, he just couldn't get himself over that line. He, I would say now, um, the best player never to win a major. Mm, interesting, interesting. In, term, in terms of ones that he's not going to win one now, he's 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 over the hill. Right. And there's other guys there who are still playing and still competing. Lee Westwood. Yeah, Lee Westwood. You've got Ricky Fowler and players like that that haven't won yeah, one. Right. But you you look at um, you look at Monty second at the PGA, second at the Open, two thousand and five. You remember how how close he was. And Andrews wasn't uh, it. Uh, 2005 heartbreaking for him and then obviously US Open as well uh, is, it was only 2006 he was, still, he was still there he was still challenging won so many European tours he was ordered a merit so many times he just couldn't get that major that is, it's, it's one of the ones for me that uh, is just a very obvious one I think when, when you think of nearly men so I'll let you take the take the mantle and, and give us some names or some teams yeah I was always trying to do this it's, I think it's quite easy to sometimes to go online with things like this and, and kind of seek the help of, of Google um, sometimes so I was trying I think like you to, to do it from my head and, and memories and mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of obvious ones that stand out a guy we've touched on a previous podcast Michael Jameson never mm. won a gold medal and I think yeah. his career for all he was a fantastic swimmer and the stuff we touched on the difficulties he went through um, I think there'll always be a tinge of kind of sadness there and the fact that he didn't really be brutally honest rise to the occasion in Glasgow mm-hmm. in 2014 when he was the, the, the poster boy of that and he, he didn't ever get that gold medal that everyone wanted that gold medal more than any other gold medal at that at that Commonwealth Games let's be honest um, that was that was disappointing um, staying with swimming and I think this is incredibly harsh um, I think I'm pretty sure Rebecca Adlington won a gold medal um, yeah no she won yeah, I think she won two, two but London the, the home one she mm-hmm. um, she obviously won in Beijing London she struggled um, again under the expectation similar to Michael Jameson she's one that she's obviously she obviously has won it so she can't be a direct um, entrant to this category and I suppose it's a difficult one as well because Sergio Garcia had won tournaments before mm-hmm. obviously but it's kind of big tournaments isn't it it's world things and it's the pinnacle yeah. of the sport I think is a point we're emphasising here I always felt that Rebecca Adlington to reach that real legendary status in the sport, um, it, she just wasn't quite good enough again at 2012 London. Similar to Michael Jameson, she was one of the big hopes, and it was the same sport, obviously, um, and that that was disappointing. Um, other ones I was trying to think of, um, I, th- I think there's been there's been a few football teams I can certainly think of. The I think Holland are, are the main one, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, there's an argument to say that England. As well, have of kind of really flattered to deceive. Um, there's another one that's completely gone out my head. I'm sure it'll pop back in at another point. But there, there's so many of these teams that you you just you prayed for and you hoped they would do it. Um, I think Andy Murray. Eh, Andy Murray, sorry. Well, Andy Murray was one actually for so long, wasn't he? There was always yeah. a fear that Andy oh, yeah, Murray would yeah. be this fantastic player and never win a Grand Slam. Um, 
and, and well, when he won the Olympics in 2012, funnily enough, that was when he kick-started on and he's now got, what, three to his name. I suppose the Wimbledon was the biggest one for him. That was his crown jewel, wasn't it? Winning Wimbledon. Yeah. He could have won the rest of them four times each, but if he'd never won Wimbledon, there would always have been that question mark. And the fact he's won Wimbledon twice now, I think Andy Murray is, is 100% a champion. Um, another Andy in the sport, Andy Roddick, was one we touched on earlier. Similar, he won the US Open, incredible, um, incredible stuff. His home one, I suppose, similar to Andy Murray, would have been that, and he won that. There was always a feeling that Wimbledon was his kind of, not with the support, his home one, but it was his one where he felt happiest. Um, yeah. I remember the famous phase, I think he, he chucked the kitchen sink at Roger Federer in one of the finals, and Roger Federer went into the bathroom. Um, like <laughs> fantastic, but it summed it up, I mean, Roddick was just so good at Wimbledon. Um, I think he, he lost three finals to Roger yeah. Federer, and... Um, I think that was similar to Sergio Garcia because he was such a, or he is such a likable guy, Andy Roddick, such a genuine guy. And I think everyone wanted Andy Roddick to win Wimbledon. The fact he never won Wimbledon um, was disappointing as well. So that, that's a few more um, thrown into the ring. Yeah, no, Andy, Andy Roddick was one of the ones that I thought. And um, it's actually quite scary to, to think that he's still, he's only 34 and mm. Roger Federer's still, still doing the business. Right, well, it is, I. Uh, <laughs> of, of course, Andy, Andy Roddick, as I said, won the US Open, which, yeah. so before people jump, jump down at me, um, he did win one, I know that, yeah. but uh, I don't know, I always felt I like he won Wimbledon. one. Mm. Mm. The Wimbledon thing, I think the fact that he lost in three finals and he came so close and uh, the final in 09, everybody thought, ah, oh, this is it, it's written in the stars here and they're going to do it, but um, Federer, just too good for him, I suppose. Mm. Um, and he was probably he's, he's the guy he just didn't want to come up against in, in a, a, a slam final. But let me throw another one out there. I'm going to move across to the sport we just touched on, uh, snooker, the obvious one, um, Jimmy White. Mm. Six World Championship finals, six defeats. Mm. That's um, that's the pinnacle of, of a nearly man. And it's, it's horrendous. And it, it comes, I think, two days three days after the fact that he's actually lost his tour card for the first time in, in more than 35 years yeah. and he's hoping for a, a wild card back into the tour um, it's just it's such a shame for Jimmy White because he pretty much won everything else that there is to win he, he's he's done he's done it all Like he's won Masters and he's won British Open a couple of times he's yeah, I think he's won the Scottish Open um, he's been that close to 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 the world championship so many times and it was five finals in a row in the mid nineties or the no sorry it was the early nineties I think it was the late eighties early nineties yeah uh, just before my time but I remember um my my late grandfather he was he was a big snooker fan he always used to watch it and go up to his house and we watched the 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 world championships especially live on the BBC and it was just around the time of Stephen Henry's dominance. But then it was a Sullivan coming through, John Higgins and Ken Doherty, and he would always say, oh, Jimmy White, if, if he'd won one, he'd have won five or six. Mm. And I think it's probably quite true. If, he had, if he'd got the monkey off his back, then he would have been able to, to go on and win a lot more. And his record is, I'm just looking at it just now, from 1983 final, and then it was two quarter finals, two semi finals, another quarter, then five finals in a row. And in a semi-final, mm. and he never once managed to win the world championship. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, that's the kind of people we're we're talking about here, isn't it? It's like <laughs> the guys, as you say, that you you use that phrase and you say, if he wins one, he'll win loads. You use it to describe mm. Sergio Garcia. You used it to describe Andy Murray. Um, 
you say the same about the Spain national team yeah. um, up up before 2008. Um, you always felt that once they won that first one, Euro 2008, they would go and win Euro 2012 and the World Cup between 2008 and 2012 in South Africa. So, I mean, th- that's another one. There's a few more written down here. Um, Tim Henman, I suppose, were another tennis yeah. one. He's good. I'd, I'd argue if he was ever good enough to get that this tag. I don't. I mean, what, what was the closest close he got was what the French Open, two thousand four, something like that. Um, I know he had a few close ones at Wimbledon as well, but uh, I think I, I think the the two thousand one at Wimbledon was always the one that sticks out for me. The fact that um, he was the highest ranked player left in the tournament, and he lost to to the. Um, Wild card, Goran Ivanisevic, who went on to win it. Four semi finals at Wimbledon, one semi final at the French, and one semi final at the US Open. He was the semi final man, I think he was, he was more well known as. Yeah, I, I suppose I, I get that argument there. I just wonder if whether he was ever that elite in the game. Been, yeah. Um, he certainly, certainly wasn't at the, the level Andy Murray's been at consistently. I think Andy Murray would have been more of a, a, kind of a shout. Um, Tyson Gay, um, mm. I don't know, a bit of a druggie, isn't he? Well, I suppose, I, but I think the you, you look at one apart from uh, Usain Bolt, they're all the same. But Tyson Gay was always expected to be the man. He was always expected to go and win um, loads of loads of gold medals. And to be fair to him, he's got one two thousand seven in the World Championships. But before Usain Bolt came about, and since then, he's not really done much at all. Mm. And it's. You look at how how fast the guy's actually ran. Like I know you say there's there's drugs, stuff and things like that, and he's been out. Um, he was a beast band for a year, I think, um, and he's the second fastest man that's ever ran, and I don't think he's ever won an Olympic medal, which it is, is quite Americans. staggering. I know it, but it's quite staggering. Twenty twelve, remember the the US relay team get disqualified, um, and he got he got injured in Beijing, so. He's, he's just been bad luck I think for Tyson Gay more than anything I think if he was fit and he was there he would have, he would have meddled but he was still uh, Usain Bolt would have beat him and he wouldn't have won gold so mm. a definite nearly man for me uh, Rubens Barrichello in the old uh, the old Formula 1 never won mm. a, a world championship no he's always living second man shadow. second man aye. to the Ferraris wasn't he to, uh, aye, to Schumacher aye. Aye. Uh, he, was, he was always one of these I remember growing up watching F1 and he was always my Barrichello, the, the Brazilian guy, and he was this uh, charismatic fella. He always seemed to be pretty, pretty decent. But that was pretty much it, wasn't it? He was, mm. he was a decent driver. Yeah, and he was always Schumacher and Schumacher's shadow all the time, running up twice, I think, in the, um, in the, the World Championship. So, how much is this is down to mentality? How much of this is down to who you're up against, a la Barrichello up against Schumacher? I know they were teammates, but they were competitors as well. Mm. Um, a la Jimmy White against his various opponents, like mm-hmm. um, I think Garcia or Roddick, sorry, against Federer. How how much yeah. of it's down to mentality, and how much is about the the players you're playing? Well, I think it, there's an element of both. The guys that we've touched on, it seems to be that they've came up against folk that are better, and I don't know if that's unfair on them because on their day they're, they're all world class and probably as best as as best as they could have been and at the very top of their game. 
Andy Roddick with, with Roger Federer is, is such a cruel thing, I think, for Roddick because he just never, ever had the beating of Federer. And I think Federer knew how to, to grind out results. Um, you had that, that quote earlier on, and it, it, it's spot on. I think Jimmy White uh, coming up against like, Steve Davis and, and, and Henry later on, uh, he just just wasn't quite there. And Barrichello, I think, was was one of these guys that was, is known for living in the shadow of Michael Schumacher. Um, but I think you need to take mentality into it as well. There, there, there is a, when you look at Lee Westwood, I think, you, you think of a guy who's just not got it in terms of the mentality. He's got the mm. game. He's got the style. He's in Colin Montgomery as well. He's got the game. You, you know he's got the game because he's won so many tournaments and he's he's been so consistent for so many years. But when it comes to that, taking that step from running the mill competition to major competition there's, there's something that some people and it pains me to say something they just don't have they don't have the, the mindset to, to, to make the step up mm. yeah it's an interesting one I've, I've always thought that there's obvious mentality issues there with some of these players but I wonder how much of it is the quality of the performance as well I mean Sergio Garcia must have been bricking it um, yesterday when he misses that part in 16 and, um, and and whatever but there must have also been that feeling of this is my time and the stars kind of align for you and he realises look this is my opportunity to finally win one of these things I've waited long enough I'm doing it um, and I suppose that's a different kind of mentality it's bottle and it's it's um, it's been assertive isn't it and it's taking taking the, the bull by the horns to use all those famous sayings um, and yeah I think again I'll just emphasise Sergio Garcia uh, absolutely brilliant um, we got a few mm-hmm. uh, a few replies and some of them um, more serious than others um, <laughs> Heather at Jags Fan 1980 said Chick Charnley um, the, the, <laughs> the former uh, the former footballer of course um, Ben the Tim said Harold Graham don't know. Yeah. Who's Harold Graham? Harold Graham is a boxer. Um, probably the best British boxer never to win a world title, or at least since the war. Um, he came through and was supposed to be this next big thing. So many junior titles and amateur titles and stuff like that. British Commonwealth um, European champion. Just never got that um, that world title. And it's it was a real shame, I think. It was before my time. It was like... Um, eighties kind of towards the eighties was when he was at his peak. Um, went on a, a a massive run from obviously his his first loss I think was in his thirty ninth fight. Um, and he fought for the WBA middleweight in eighty nine and lost it. He fought for the WBC middleweight and lost it. And um, he he was just he was he was such a such a good boxer, but. Um, just never got to, to that top level. The other one Ben said was Dennis Bergkamp as well. Dennis Bergkamp famously mm. uh, didn't fly anywhere. Um, That's right. Because, yeah. uh, I'm just thinking now all these these stories. I think we should do a, a podcast, a, kind of, a theme where we just do kind of funny stories. And, and um, the one I was thinking was, um, the words completely went my mind, um, curses. Curses mm. of because uh, we're talking about these players haven't won, and it reminds you of all these fantastic curses of why teams go and losing runs and stuff. I think that'd be a, 
a great um, a great listen as well. Um, the other question I wanted to ask you, uh, and I've suddenly taken the mantle here, and I'm asking you questions because it's about time. Um, but is there a player, a sports person, sorry, I should say, um, out there right now that you think we'll be talking about in years as being the nearly person, maybe a younger person, um, that just will never quite do it? I realise I've sprung it on you, so I'll give you a bit of thinking time. And I'll no, I've, up- got, I've, I've got one, I think I've got one. Is it the same as um, mine, maybe? Who's yours? I, I don't know. Um, it, the first one, just one that completely jumps straight to my head, and it's uh, Grigor Dimitrov. Ooh. Um, I think... Baby fed. Uh, baby fed. Um, <laughs> he was so highly rated coming through. Um, he's never... I, don't, I, I, I think I'm right in saying he's... I don't think he's, he's, he's in the top ten in terms of rankings, but I don't think he's been higher than eight or nine. And he's... He's now twenty five. He's the same age as me, and I obviously grown up with him coming through, expecting him to to do so well. He won the junior Wimbledon, I'm sure. Um, right at the he did yeah kind of, yeah when he was he was very young he was very young when he won it mm-hmm. and everybody thought that this is this is the guy this is him, and he just hasn't done it. I know he got to the semi final in the Australian Open this year. Um, obviously to match up with the Wimbledon one for four or five years ago mm-hmm. and he just hasn't done it no finals of Grand Slams yet no top five top six ranking and the the longer that goes on and the longer these guys like Federer, Nadal, Murray, Djokovic stick around the harder it's going to be for him mm. and there's going to be younger guys coming through guys like uh, Jack Sock and Kyrgios and stuff like that are, are really showing him how it's done and I just think that um, given 10 years' time, you could be talking about Gregor Dimitrov, the, the man who never won a Grand Slam. Hmm. My, my, one, my one is, um, in my opinion, the greatest footballer uh, ever to have lived. It's Lionel Messi. Um, mm. He's running out of time um, for Argentina. Mm. His time was uh-huh. 2014, I think, and uh, he got to the final. They didn't win it, and Argentina looked like they may, not, may well not qualify. Um, for for the next World Cup, um, Messi's getting on a little bit. I think he's is he approaching thirty or maybe he's thirty, um, and he's not going to have too many more World Cups in him. If Argentina aren't even at the next one, Messi's going to be past his peak, and it, I think it'd be a, a massive shame. And it would always go against um, the shout for the greatest player in the world. I always think it's harsh that you have to have won a World Cup for your country, mm. um, because you could be paired with with nobodies. Um, the thing is, I suppose Cristiano Ronaldo had a team of nobodies and somehow won the the Euros in the summer. So it's an interesting one. Um, I think it'd be a real shame if Messi never won a World Cup because for me he is he's the greatest player I've ever seen. I find it hard to believe there ever has been a better footballer than Lionel Messi. Um, I know that's another debate for another time, but that for me would be a real shame, and it's it's something that's looking more and more likely as as the years go on. An interesting one, the guy who's won all there is to win in terms of club football. He's won five Ballon d'Ors, so many Champions Leagues, Copa del Reyes, La Liga titles, but he's a failure because he's not won a World Cup. Mm. It's crazy to think that, but it's true. It is, it is true. Mm. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll move on from the theme and we'll, we'll go to our sporting performance of the week. I don't know if there's much point, is there? No, sorry. No, I was, I was actually thinking there. Who are you talking about? Of course, it's, <laughs> it's of course it's um, of course it's Gregor Dimitrov. No, it's uh, Sergio Garcia. Um, yeah, Sergio absolutely. Garcia, Sergio Garcia, Sergio Garcia. 
that's it. The, the man of the moment, and, and hopefully we'll be talking about him winning many more majors to come. That is us for episode number eight, I believe it is. Or eight, no, it's actually episode nine. Mm, it's Done and dusted. Nine, hasn't it? I know, it's just been that's us. Um, we're just, it just keeps. It's scary how fast it comes around. I suppose we have done three podcasts in five days, so yeah. um, we, we've we've been spoiling you know, in terms of the podcast. But thank you, Hamish, again for 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 taking the time out so late in the day to to join me. Yeah, not a problem, Paul. It's approaching. I think about one o'clock here, so uh, I'm going to get off to bed. Excellent stuff. Uh, thank you very much, everyone, for as always for for taking the time to download to listen to the podcast. Uh, thank you for everyone with their intro, their um, talking to us on Twitter and stuff like that. You can find us there. We are at sideline underscore scoop, where we give you bad betting tips and <laughs> terrible patter about sport. Um, if you want to leave us a review or a rating on iTunes, you can do so. Just search for the sideline scoop. It will come up there. You can click subscribe and make sure you don't miss any of our, our podcasts as they, they drop out. We're going to try and do some more in terms of um, preview podcast. I hope you liked the one for the, the Masters and the, mm. the other one we did last week as well. But for uh, episode number nine, thank you very much for listening and good night. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>